Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Why don't you stand, if you're willing and able, and we're going to read uh, from Galatians chapter 4, and this morning we're just going to look at uh, just a few verses. This is uh, God's word to us this morning. Paul writes, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that are by nature not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. This is the reading of God's word, and every bit of it is true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Amen. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question. I'm trying to figure out how the best way to ask you to, you know, to be gentle What is your problem? What's your problem? What's my problem? Why are we so chronically unhappy at times? Why are we so defensive? So grumpy? Why do we overeat? Why do we overdrink? Why do we buy things on Amazon we just don't really need? Why is your mood so dictated by how you think people perceive you? Why do you have a burning anxiety at social gatherings? You get so fretful about your grades or job reviews, outburst of anger, the dullness that you feel, the boredom held hostage by appetite, self-loathing or bitterness. Why do comparisons just slay you. You thought you had a great vacation until you saw what the Joneses did, right? And if that's not enough, what's their problem? Why are people so obnoxious about their politics? Why is social media so toxic? And how about that guy this week who cut me off in traffic? I was actually on 44 one time and I saw this on the back of a guy's truck. If I just passed you on the right, you're an idiot. What's his problem? Jean-Jacques Rousseau said this, man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. So what are the chains 
What is the slavery we all experience? What is the problem? In August of 2013, a Nigerian newspaper released this story. An inmate had caused disturbance in the high court after a judge acquitted him of all of his charges against him. But the prisoner refused and demanded to go back to prison. Instead of the usual jubilation that follows any ruling of discharged and acquitted, the inmate in question headed straight back to the prison, only to be intercepted by prison guards who reminded him that he was free to go home. To the chagrin of eyewitnesses, he said he was going nowhere and he demanded to be allowed to re-enter the prison. Eyewitnesses said it took over six prison guards to get the freed inmate off of the premises. What is our problem? That is our problem. We are this prisoner. We have been set free by the gospel, but we want to go back into slavery again. Paul writes to the Galatians and says, you have been set free. Now you want to go back and be enslaved to non-gods. So take your sermon outline and let's look at the problem. First, non-gods defined. It's shocking what Paul says here. He, he tells these Galatians they are in danger. Now remember, they were Gentiles. They came from full-on pagan backgrounds They had fallen under the spell of these false teachers who were telling them that in order to be a real Christian, it was not enough to believe in Jesus. You had to also keep all the Old Testament regulations, all the laws. You had to observe all the religious days just as they were prescribed. And you had to get circumcised because Jesus was not enough. And Paul tells them that they're going to be falling back under the power and the slavery of the non-gods. So who are the non-gods? Let's look at it again here. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So what are these elementary principles of the world? Now, before they were Christians, they were slaves to these principles of the universe. The word really means the basics, the ABCs. Paul tells them that they are treating as gods things that are not gods at all. Now, as pagans, pagans believe behind every basic element was a God. So behind the earth, behind the sun, the stars, fire, moon, fields, the sea, all of them had gods behind them. So there was a moon God, a sun God, a harvest God. That's what paganism was. Any basic thing could be and was a God in paganism, sex, nature, the mountains, anything. So therefore, anyone could have their own gods for every part of life. 
And Paul is saying to them that every basic thing can be a God. Career, making money, plowing a field, nature itself, anything basic. It's important to see that what Paul is saying is that the only alternative to the gospel is idolatry. Nobody is an unbeliever in the truest sense. There's no such thing as an irreligious person. There's no such thing as a secular person. You either believe in the true God or you are a slave to worship an idol. You worship something and treat it as a God, even though it's not a God. Now think about this. The Ten Commandments, right? The first two commandments. The first one is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is, you shall not have an idol. The first two commandments tell us everything we need to know. So if you were to go to God and say, God, got a question for you. What's the secret of life? God, can you give me the key that opens up the door to have a full and flourishing future? The first thing that God would talk to you about is idolatry. Consider 1 John, the last verse of 1 John. I remember as a young Christian reading the letter of 1 John for the very first time and coming to the last verse in the book and going, what? So confused. I thought, John, are you a terrible writer? Because he completely changes the subject. It's like he inserts something he forgot. 1 John is about three things. Living in the light, living in love, and living with God. And then the last verse is like this confusing jolt. Here's what he says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now why, the reason that's so confusing is he does not mention idolatry once in the letter. He doesn't use the word idol or idolatry. And scholars say one of two options. John is either a terrible writer and he forgot something and he panics like, oh, by the way, uh, watch out for idols. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, or the other option is, is that John in the very last verse is actually summarizing everything he has said in the letter. John is saying, if you ever fail to live in the light, live in love or walk with God, if you fail these in any way, then it's all because of idolatry. Keep yourself from idols is a summary of everything he was saying in the letter. John is saying what is truly dangerous is not our deeds and our doing, but idolatry. Now, this may actually sound kind of strange to some of you. Because we think of idolatry as something that only happened with statues in the Old Testament. Or because as you were brought up in church, you always just kind of thought vaguely that Christianity was about things you didn't do and things that you did do and that you were to stay away from certain things. But the commandments in 1 John and Paul here are saying the most dangerous thing is idolatry. 
And if you ever break the Ten Commandments, if you ever break Commandments 3 through 10, it's only because you broke the first two. There were two Jewish philosophers who knew the scriptures intimately. And this is what they concluded. The central principle of the Bible, the central principle of the Bible is the rejection of idols. So when we fail to be like Jesus, when we fail to be honest, fail to love, to forgive, to serve our enemy, when we're bitter, when we feel despondent or worthless, when we fail to be noble, when we're bored, when we're anxious, what is the problem? This is what Tim Keller says. He says, this means then that idolatry is always the reason we ever do anything wrong. Why do we ever lie or fail to love or keep promises or live unselfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful. But the specific answer is always that there is something besides Jesus Christ that you feel you must have to be happy. Something that's more important to your heart than God. Something that's enslaving your heart through inordinate desires. So the secret to change is always to identify the idols of the heart. The Bible does not consider idolatry to be one sin among many, but rather the only alternative to true full faith living in God is idolatry. All failure to trust God wholly, to live rightly, are due at root to idolatry, something we make more important than God. There's always a reason for our sin, and underneath it all is always the worship of an idol. So what's our problem? Our problem is idolatry. Is looking to something else, something basic as a functional God. And the thing is, if you can get this, it is revolutionary in your life. Because isn't it true that some of your self-loathing is because you're trying to tell yourself to do certain things or to stop doing other things? And it's like you can never find the root cause of why you feel despondent or sad. The problem underneath the problem, the sin underneath every sin is always idolatry. So what is idolatry? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies a place that should be occupied by God alone. Anything that is central to my life, anything that seems to me essential, an idol is anything which I live and on which I depend, anything that holds a controlling position in my life and it moves and rouses and attracts so much of my time, attention, my energy, and my money. Idols are most often really, really good things that we raise to a level of ultimate to where they control us. You know, one of my uh, struggles right now in my life is that I want something that is really good. And if I told you what it is, not a person in this room would disagree with me that that is a really good thing to want. But the problem is, I have been wanting it so bad 
that it has begun to hold me hostage emotionally. Good and basic things elevated to ultimate because we're trying to fill some kind of emptiness. We're trying to maybe justify something in the past. We're reacting out of the being wounded by our past. In her book, uh, Women, Food, and God, Janith Roth, I thought this was incredibly insightful. She says this, women turn to food when they are not hungry because they are hungry for something they can't name, a connection to what is beyond the concerns of daily life, something deathless, something sacred, but replacing the hunger for the divine connection with double stuff Oreos is like giving a glass of sand to a person dying of thirst. It creates more thirst, more panic. Or perhaps one of the most famous things ever said in this regard was G.K. Chesterton. When a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. Idolatry is what is screwing you up. It's what's screwing up your relationships. It's what's making you a dysfunctional family. When something basic Something good becomes the ultimate. When you raise it to the level of the deity, you do know what happens, don't you? It becomes a demon. It is the why you are the way you are. Let's look at non-God's enslavement. How do they enslave us? The Greek word that is used here and repeatedly used throughout the scriptures Referring to idolatry is over desires. Sometimes the word is translated lust or sinful desires. The problem with the translation of lust is that we always think it means to crave something that's bad. So the best way to understand it is an over desire for something good that's turned to an ultimate thing. And because it's a good thing, The idol will enslave you because it cranks up that over-desire. An idol says to you, you must have this in order to be happy. Normal desires twisted into enslaving desires. In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he tells a story of a woman named Anna. And Anna desperately wanted to have kids. She eventually married and was able to have two healthy kids despite her age. But her dreams did not come true. Her overpowering desire to give her children the perfect life made it impossible for her to enjoy them. Her overprotectedness, her fear, her anxieties, her need to control everything, every detail of their life actually made the family miserable. Her oldest child begin to do really poorly in school and show signs of serious emotional unhealth. Her younger child became incredibly angry. So you know what they did? They tried to fix the kids. When actually it was the mother's idolatry that was making everybody miserable. Because she was enslaved. 
Whenever you feel strong, over the top, controlling desires, emotionally, where you're giving enormous amount of time and thought and fantasy and money flowing in that direction, look for the chain. Listen for its rattle. Because it can lead you to the root problem. Now, some people say, I'm just bitter about it. I'm angry. I'm bitter, okay? The reason for your bitterness is not because of what the person did. The reason for your bitterness is because your heart is making, what your heart is making out of what you've lost. Yeah, your spouse wronged you. Yeah, your adult children wronged you. Yeah, your friend wronged you, wronged you. But the reason is you can't get past it is because of what you've lost, what you feel like you have to have. That's why you can't forgive them. The reason we ever break commandments three through 10 is because we break one and two. The reason we ever get stuck is because of what is not, the reason we ever get stuck is not because of what we've done or what's been done to us. It's because of what we feel like we have to have. We have to have more money. We, we, our kids have to be successful. We have to have a big vacation. Or this one. I have to be healthy. I'm not getting the life I want. Now, here's what's actually really perhaps the most astonishing thing about what Paul is saying. And it is the very reason why I chose to do just a few verses. Because this is not something that you would get just by reading it in cursory fashion. What is so astonishing is, is that Paul says, you were once slaves to idols and now you want to go back. Here's what's shocking. The Galatians were pagans before this. They were Greek pagans. They were licentious people in every way, according to biblical standards. I mean, they were populating with everybody. They were drinking, they were carousing everything. And they actually did worship little statues. Now, what was the whole reason the book of Galatians was written? The whole reason was to warn them to not give in to and adopt religious legalism. These false teachers were not encouraging them to ignore God's laws like they had in their pagan days, but instead to adopt all of the Old Testament in order to be a good Christian. Now, do you realize what Paul is saying here? He says, you're turning back. You're going back. And you just have to say, what? What? How can trying to obey all the Old Testament laws, observe all the religious days, how can that be going back to paganism? Here's what he's saying. He's saying to these Gentile Christians, he's saying, you used to run from God, 
by being really bad, really immoral, disgustingly sinful, pagan people. That's how you used to run from God. Now you want to run from God by being good, by being super moral and super religious. And the shock is, is that Paul is saying they are one in the same. And they are both just as enslaving. You used to make an idol out of being a pagan and worshiping everything. Now you're making an idol out of being good. You're not going to be following Jesus. You're going to be following a legalistic form of Christianity. Here's what Keller says. He says, Paul is saying that earning one's salvation through scrupulous biblical morality and religion is just as much enslavement to idols as outright paganism. In the end, the religious person is as lost and enslaved as the irreligious person. That's pretty amazing. Why? Because in both situations, you're just being your own savior. So which of the two do you think is more dangerous? Running from God the way a pagan does or running from God the way a super religious person does? Well, a pagan knows they're far from God. A pagan will even have their conscience sometimes prick them as to what they're doing is wrong. But a super religious person a legalistic person, they'll think they're closer to God than anyone. So it's more dangerous because they'll be looking at their deeds and doing. Now, do you realize what this means? It means that the book of Galatians was written to us. But here's the the even more shocking thing. What this means is this, is that sometimes the most spiritually unhealthy people in a church are the people who are the most involved, like a pastor or a small group leader or the one who runs around serving in every way. And everyone says, oh, just look at them, how they love and serve everyone. That person might be the most unhealthiest person in the church because they are worshiping an idol of reputation. So how do we get free? How do we get free? Paul says in in 4.9, he says, but now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again? So Paul makes a comparison between being a slave to an impersonal, non-existent God or being in a knowing relationship with the true God. And he's saying, how can you turn back to idols since you know God, or more importantly, you are known by him. You know, what makes a person a Christian is not so much them knowing God, but God knowing you. And Paul is telling him, it's not so much about your regard and your love for God, but rather his regard and his love for you that really makes you a Christian. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 8, he says that anyone who loves God Anyone who loves God, they do it because God knows them. 
Our knowing of God is so fickle. I mean, it's up and down all the time, depending upon how we feel in our religious performance or our prayer life. But God's knowing of us is absolutely fixed and solid. This is the antidote to idolatry. This is the pathway to freedom. Our problem is, is that we look at us all the time. We look at our religious observances. We look at what we are doing as a Christian and it fluctuates so much instead of looking at our knowing of Christ. We are busy, 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 desperately trying to firm up a positive self image by using idols. We feel insecure about our acceptance with God. And this is the reason why we make idols. Our constant making of idols is always because three things to get approval from others, to get approval from God, or on some level, just to get self approval. That we're actually a good person who's going to have a good life. Now, uh, years ago, uh, we were up visiting my daughter, Sarah, uh, at App State when she was in grad school. And uh, she lived in a, like a townhouse and we were out front of her house and right next to her uh, townhouse was a row of, of regular homes. And it was a beautiful day. The temperatures were magnificent and everybody had their windows open. And as we're standing out there, we hear this couple next door start to have this fight. And this couple, they are yelling and screaming at everybody at each other. And, um, you know, it's one of those situations where you're, you're standing there and you, you can hear every word of it, but you're just like standing really still because you feel like they might turn and yell at you. You're so, you're kind of embarrassed for the whole situation. So they're yelling at each other. And then the husband turns to go to work. He gets in the, he's getting in the driveway. He's getting in his car and the wife yells out one more cry. And you can just tell she's angry. And it's like through tears, she is screaming this. This is what she says. She says, don't you judge me. And what was so interesting about what she said is I heard the entire fight. And there was nothing in there about her husband judging her. It just didn't seem to make any sense. Oh, but it did because being accepted, being approved, being known and loved and not judged as worthless is the driving force of why we pull idols into our hearts. You know, the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians four, he says to the Corinthians, he says, I don't really care about your evaluation of me. He says, I also don't care about my own evaluation of me. I don't care what you think and I don't care what I think. I only care about God's evaluation of me, his judgment of me, which is what the book of Galatians is about. God's judgment that we are justified, fully justified in Christ. The central basis for Christian assurance 
is not how much our hearts are set on God, not how dedicated we are, but how unshakable his heart is set on us. Now, I'm going to read a quote by J.I. Packer. And this is really rich. It's very nourishing. It's very life-giving. And it is the door to freedom. But I can only walk you to the door. So let's read it together. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and he continues to know me. He knows me as friend. One who loves me and there's no moment when his eye is off me or his attention is distracted from me and no moment when therefore his care falters. There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on a prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in a way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. You have a God in Christ who knows you. He knows you to the bottom and loves you to the end. Don't turn back. Oh, dear church, don't turn back. Come home. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.